0: You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. We're continuing in the book of Acts. We're at chapter 8, chapter 8 of Acts. Um, We'll begin reading at verse 1. Here we're at the end where Paul, I mean, where where Saul, he hasn't converted yet, is, is there as Stephen is being stoned to death. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Oh Lord, thank you for your word. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to make it a living word. Let it come alive, move within our hearts, in Jesus' name. The death was the death of Stephen, and the persecution came about as a result of that. We know that uh, Jerusalem hadn't been settled since Jesus came in uh, on Palm Sunday, on Palm Sunday, he got everything stirred up. They're all praising him and, and just celebrating, thinking that he's going to be the king that's going to take over and Rome is going to be defeated, and they're going to come to the rightful place. And then as, as the week continues and as uh, the religious leaders continue their plot to kill Jesus, uh, we get to Good Friday, and there he dies on the cross. And everybody is heavy, brokenhearted, all the aspirations of the Messiah has just been thwarted. And so they're, they're, they're depressed. They're in despair. They're dejected. It's heavy time. Three days later, he's raised from the dead. There starts to become that little bit of hope that begins to blossom. He He appears. And they start to, he, he reveals himself to, to the ladies. He reveals himself to his disciples. Uh, Paul tells us that at one time he revealed himself to over 500 brethren that are still alive at that time that Paul was writing. And so there was this revelation that Jesus was alive. And so now there's hope. There's, there's incredible hope. And the Lord gives that commission to his disciples, you know, to go and, and to baptize and, and to bring to bring all nations into obedience to the teachings that he had. And so we we have an incredible, incredible kind of dynamic that's going. And the apostles, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and and Peter proclaims, and 3,000 come. They're starting to do the very things that Jesus did. Because Jesus said, these things and even greater things you're going to do when I go to the Father. And I send the Holy Spirit. And so they're experiencing that. And there's a a lame man that is is healed. and, And now there's many miraculous signs and wonders. And there's just an incredible, incredible thing going on. But the religious leaders are still upset. And so they arrest Peter and John, not just once, but twice. First time they have to wait and give an account. And they don't know what to do because everybody knew that it was a miracle that this guy that was crippled is now walking and they had it right there. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't punish him but they told him not to proclaim in Jesus, not to teach in the name of Jesus anymore and they went right out and continued to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. So now they're more embarrassed. Now it's like egg on their face. They don't know what they're going to do uh, so they, they go once again, throw him in jail and are ready The next day they call them them before the Sanhedrin and they're not there. During the night, an angel had a divine jailbreak. And uh, so they get out of jail. They follow the angel. They go right out. They're back right there doing what they do. They're proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They're proclaiming the gospel. And, you know, they were not afraid. When you look at the disciples, you look at the apostles, you see that when Jesus goes to the cross and he's arrested, they all scatter, except for John. John's still at the foot of the cross, but they all scatter. Peter's gone, they're gone, they leave. Now they're becoming aware that Jesus is more than what they thought he was. And now the fear is getting out of them. Now they're arrested, Peter and John, they're arrested and they're not worried anymore about whatever they can do. The second time they get released, they get released with a beating, with a scourging, probably very similar to what Jesus went through. They they had suffered for Jesus and they weren't worried about how are we going to avoid this the next time it happens. Matter of fact, they're so thankful that they were considered worthy of suffering. For his name. And so there is a huge shift in their hearts and their minds, and they're no longer concerned about what man can do to them, what the religious authorities, what what the law enforcement can do. They're so in love with Jesus and so devoted to his mission of establishing his kingdom and releasing it on the earth that they continue to proclaim fearlessly. Now, you know, this is review. We've already preached through all these things, but then the dispute comes and the, you know, there's about the widows and the daily distribution of food. And so they got a little problem, but in wisdom, the, the apostles function in such a divine way. They say, choose seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and give them this responsibility of taking care of the distribution of the food to the widows. And so that's what they did. And so we see that, and that's amazing. And then Stephen is one of the ones full of the Holy Spirit, a man who moved in supernatural power. All sorts of signs of wonders followed him. And as, as he goes through, there's this opposition that now is coming that was against Peter and John. I wonder if they decided to take it easy on Peter and John when they saw the tenacity that they were not going to budge. There's no amount that they could do except to kill them it was the only way they're going to stop them. But now here comes Stephen. So let's, let's, let's see if we can get him. And so the, the assault on Stephen ends up with him proclaiming the gospel so beautifully from the Old Testament all the way to Christ. And they get so furious with him, they stone him to death. They drag him outside the city and, and they, they, they stone him. And that's where we pick up in chapter 8. And Saul is right there giving consent to the death of Stephen. As Stephen is being stoned, he looks up into heaven, he sees Jesus at the right hand, and his face just glowed like the face of an angel. It was just amazing. How is the evil one going to stop This advancement of the kingdom of God that Jesus inaugurated when he came, that he proclaimed, that he demonstrated, that he died, that on the third day he was resurrected, and now his disciples are proclaiming the same. How is he going to stop this thing? we will kill one of the leaders. See what happens. Gamaliel said that when they were considering John and and, and, uh, Peter. He said, no, if it's of God, we're just going to be fighting God. But when the leader died, which was Jesus, it should dissipate. Well, it doesn't. Now it's growing. So now they're going to take one of the leader's followers, and now they kill Stephen, and it continues. But not everybody was at the same place as Peter and John. It says they all scattered Except for the apostles, they stayed in Jerusalem. Nothing could get Peter and John to budge. They were there, they were going to stay there. They weren't afraid of death. There was nothing that intimidated them. But everybody else, they scattered. Part of, uh, no doubt, a master plan of evangelism. And as they scattered, what happened? They proclaimed. The word of God. And they proclaimed the good news about Jesus. Jerusalem was the only place at this time where the persecution against the Christians was taking place. It was just in Jerusalem. So as they went out, they were able to find peace and they were able to proclaim and all sorts of wonderful things happened. So the great persecution begins with Stephen's death and they buried him and they mourned deeply. Whenever it seems like there's some momentum, it seems like the enemy loves to take somebody out. Have you noticed that? You got some mojo going with Jesus and his presence, and you're doing really well, and you're moving, 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 and then you you suffer some kind of loss, whether it's a loss of a job, a loss of a loved one, a a loss of a loss. You, You lose something. And the enemy knows that we're really vulnerable in our humanness at that point because there's a sense of that whenever we're we're grieving, whenever there's a loss, our hearts open. And so he he tries to insert as many falsehoods as he can about God, about you, and about others, and about his kingdom during a time of loss. That's why sometimes believers, when we have a time of loss, it's really hard for us to recover after that time. Because when we have that loss, the enemy, he never plays fair. He takes every advantage that whenever we've lost someone that we love, he says, well, if God was really good, your loved one would still be alive. If, and you fill in the blank, then that person would still be alive. Or you wouldn't have lost your job. Or your car wouldn't have broke down. Or your, your kid wouldn't have gotten sick and missed. And so all these different kinds of losses, he knows how to exploit those within our human heart. And he will take every opportunity. I think one of the key things of understanding that when you are being persecuted, you need to realize that this is a key moment in your life. The enemy intends it to take you and bring distance between you and Father God. But the Lord Jesus wants to show you that God the Father is a father of all comfort. And it's only in him that anything makes sense. And so even when when we can't make things add up rationally, if we come to him, we find that he releases a comfort and a peace and he draws us to himself. And whether he gives us some kind of intellectual, mental, rational satisfaction of the reason for our loss or whether we just know that he's with us. He does for us what we need so that we can continue. Mm -hmm. They buried Stephen and they mourned deeply. You got to mourn the losses. The flip side of it, sometimes in popular Christianity, it's like, hey, don't grieve. You lost your job, got to give you a better one. Hey, your loved one died. Don't, don't, don't be sorrowful. Rejoice, he's with Jesus. And some of these things are true, but they're really not helpful. You've got to mourn deeply your losses if you're going to get through to the other side to where you can have great joy. And I find that God is so patient with us. There are certain, there are certain losses in my life that I'm still grieving to this day. There are others that I worked through them and I'm on the other side and I've got joy and I've worked through that. And it's, it's, it's like that has no effect on me whatsoever. But there are still some that I'm still mourning. There's still some losses that take longer. So one, don't, don't fall prey to the enemy's manipulate, manipulation when he says, oh, you should be done with that by now. I mean, that happened a long time ago. You should have already mourned through all of that and be on the other side of that grief. We all grieve differently. Something that I am still working through in in grief, you may have been able to work through that like that and be on the other side. But for me, it's taking a little longer. It's taking a little longer. And there's no condemnation for that. There's no condemnation. However long it takes to go through the grief, you go through your grief. That's that's important. The enemy knows that if he can keep us from really grieving, we'll never get to the really joyful part. We'll never get to the joy that's on the other side. Even Christ, as he looked at the cross, he, he despised the shame, but it was the joy that was set before him. He understood the other side and what Father's intentions were. And so he could, he could face that and go through that. Sometimes when we get a revelation like that and we understand what Jesus is doing in the midst of our, of our grief, our mourning, it, it gives us that hope and that joy and we're able to persevere, persevere and get through it and get to the joy. But we're humans and we live on a fallen planet. And as a result of that, yeah, yeah. We're going we're gonna to continue to have those grieving because there's going to be more losses. So it was Stephen's death. They had to bury, they had to mourn deeply of him. I, as I was doing this message, I just thought of all those that I loved, all those that I've known that, has, that, that have been taken out of the earth. Sorry, I'm, I, I may upset your theology of sovereignty. But God didn't take them. They passed way before they should have gone. And I I make no apologies on my theological view. I think I'm right. I may not be, but I think I am. I I think that we still live in a fallen world. And as a result of that, the evil one sometimes, he wins a battle or two. And I think we've lost loved ones that went before their time. No doubt about Patty. Patty wasn't supposed to go. The Lord received her, no doubt. I still grieve over Patty. I still grieve over John. I still grieve over John Newell. I I know that John wasn't supposed to be taken. And I've been having an ongoing dialogue with the Lord. To try to understand, so that the next time the enemy tries to steal one of our beloved, we'll know how to contend for their healing. Hmm. Amen. So we've got to we've got to we've got to mourn. We've got to mourn deeply. We bury. We come back into the presence of the Lord. So that's the beginning of the persecution, and then Saul. From being a little lad that's there giving approval of Stephen's death, now he's a, a ringleader and he's, he's going from house to house and he's out to destroy the church. He's out to destroy the church and he's dragging men and women off to prison. And we got a terrible thing going on here. You think about how the enemy tries to destroy and how he tries to take our mo- momentum, how he tries to, to sabotage what the Lord is doing in our lives. And here we, we see there's a destroyer. There's a destroyer that wants to come and steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to take anything good and anything that's leading you into a greater intimacy with God. That destroyer has that on his target. He's got it, his sights, he's got us in the crosshairs and he's looking to pull the trigger. And so there's this great scattering Everybody left except the apostles. Now, where did they go? Samaria and Judea. Does that ring a bell? We're in the book of Acts. How about chapter one, verse eight? Oh, yeah. Mm. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The enemy thinks he's one. He thinks he's, he's, he's uh, diluting the effectiveness of the kingdom. And all he's done is he's scattered it and wild, wonderful, glorious fire is burning everywhere. And now we're in Judea and Samaria. And pretty soon we're going to get, before the end of the book, to the ends of the earth. Pretty amazing. Sure is. So there's great joy. There's great joy. The scattered ones are, are preaching the word everywhere they go. And after that general statement, Luke then... Hones in on Philip. Oh, now Philip sounds familiar, doesn't he? He's one of the seven. Oh, we've had Stephen, one of the seven. He gets stoned and dies. Now, Philip, as a result of that death, he's scattered. He's in Samaria. He goes to a city of Samaria and he starts proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we understand that when you're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, you're not just talking about his death and his resurrection, but now you're showing what that death and resurrection has secured for the earth. It has ushered in a kingdom from above to the kingdom on planet earth. And how does it manifest? With healing, signs, and wonders. (laughs) We find out he goes around, he ministers, and everybody notices what happens when they see Philip ministering. Philip, city of Samaria, he's proclaiming Christ, the anointed Messiah. And the response is the crowds here. They see and they pay close attention. There's not one of them that's sleepy. If they were sitting here, they would be wide awake. Go ahead. Hallelujah. Tell yourself to wake up. It's time. Let's wake up. Why? Because they were observing what the kingdom from above when it invades this kingdom, there is a clash of kingdoms and the kingdom of our God is more powerful than the kingdom of the evil one and, and the enemy loses. And so we find that there's people that are that are demonized, that are bound to all sorts of stuff are getting set free. There's deliverance that's taking place. The enemy is is losing his hold on individual's lives Addictions are being broken, thought patterns are getting free, hearts are getting healed and clean, and they're understanding who they really are. Their identity is coming into focus. And as a result of that, there is great joy in the city. Oh yes. How do you know demons laughed? Because they heard them. <laughs> oh, How was that for a shriek? That was my best shriek. Yeah. Right. Did that work?: Okay. They were leaving. When they exited, they made noise. Now, in America, we don't hear a whole lot about demons. We don't hear a whole lot about deliverance. We don't hear a whole lot about that. I remember, you know, I, I was raised in the Methodist church. I never heard anything about it unless a missionary come from Africa and told us about demons and all this kind of stuff. And so you had that kind of input. Until I got going with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden they start showing up they're ugly they're 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 not very nice and when they do show up they will manifest but the power that is in you is greater every time they will tr- lie because that's the nature of their father their father is a liar And so they will lie, and they will try to intimidate. They will try to manipulate. They will use every fear factor that they know to try to get you to allow them to remain. They do not get to remain ever whenever Jesus is around. And he lives in you. And so when you're in the presence of uh, of the demonic, it's time for the demonic to take an exit. I don't know what your experience is going to be, but you'll have an experience. The first time the demonic came to me, it was while I was sleeping, came in a dream, presence came. You could feel the, just the sheer frigidness of his presence. And he didn't say a word, he just intimidated. And as soon as I realized what was going on, I started saying, Jesus... And when I couldn't, there was a time when I couldn't even speak Jesus. Debbie was asleep next to me. I wanted to wake her up and say pray, but I couldn't move. I was paralyzed. So I started thinking Jesus. And then I was able to say Jesus, got up, went in, had a time of worship, celebration, the dark thing left, and that was the end of that one. Next time I encountered the demonic, I was in the middle of a counseling session with a Couple that was having problems in their marriage, usually when a demon is present in one of the spouses there 's a little difficulty in how to do marriage and uh, the husband fell out of his chair and started slithering on the floor and hissing and making all sorts of noises and that doesn 't happen in America by the way that that's only happens in Africa yeah uh-huh and so we took authority over we took authority over. the the evil spirit that was in him. I think we cast about three or four, five. And I I remembered I was on a real quick learning curve and I just said, are there any more? And they said, nope, we're all gone. Now, some of them are really not very intelligent, but some of them are extremely intelligent. When you start dealing with spirits of witchcraft, you're coming up with something that is beyond human intellect. So I commanded that one little imp to get out, and so that one got out. guy was free <clears throat> for that day. problem is, w- whenever you're doing deliverance, casting out the demon is the easiest part. It's always the easiest part to just cast out the demon. The problem is is shutting the windows and the doors that the demonic realm has got as openings into that person's life. So I got to a place where I wasn't going to cast out a demon until we'd closed the windows, shut the doors, and then we'd deal with the demon. That's not true all the time, but if it's someone that's part of my, my church or part of my pastoral care, I'll make sure we got the windows shut and the doors. If, if it's someone that I'm on the street and we got to deal with, we just deal with whatever kind of intrusion that the, that the enemies manifest, and we deal with it and we move on. Yeah. Second time... And let me wrap it up with this. Second time, I'm dealing with a lady who came in. She had an adolescent son that was giving her fits. Can you imagine that? Difficulty between the generations. A mother having difficulty with a teenage son. And as she was coming and we were trying to deal with what was happening in the dynamic, all of a sudden out of her mouth came this voice that wasn't her voice. And it said, you can't have her. She belongs to us. And I thought, I beg your pardon. <laughs> She's attending my church. What do you mean she belongs to you? And they're just, they're, of course, the hair on my arm just literally raised. And if I had fur, that would probably have curled and, and everything. <laughs> And at that time, I was very, you know, it was the beginning stages of dealing with the demonic. And so I figured that the louder I talked, the more authority I had. So I got real loud. <clears throat> and I let it know that no, she did not belong to them ever again. And I knew at that moment I had entered into a fight. It wasn't that I was going to take one shot and they were going to take one shot and we're going to see who hits the hardest. I knew that war had started, which means whatever's on my schedule gets canceled and I am there until this thing is through. And so as, as I engage that and as we're, we're doing battle, I'm getting louder and louder. Now Ada, Margaret and Loyal just came over to the house. Debbie was upstairs, my office at that time was in the basement of my house. And uh, Debbie heard how loud I was getting. She probably had an idea what was going on, too. So she went to the piano and started playing for the express purpose of inspiring me in my warfare. No, no. She was trying to cover up what was happening downstairs so her parents wouldn't know how crazy I had gotten. And, uh, and so, you know, she's, she's playing the piano, and I... And, boy, it came at a low time and it encouraged me. She's, the only thing she plays is Christian music. So I'm just getting fired up and go for it. And the thing, finally the thing broke and, yeah. and she was free. And it was like, great. And I just went up and I just want to tell my wife how wonderful, we're, such, we're on such same page. We're so walking in the spirit so wonderfully and everything. And she was quite upset with me. <laughs> and I said, honey, you really encouraged me. She didn't know it, but she had, and it was, it was good. And so then they would come up from time to time, and you just deal with them when you need to deal with them. But the key is, if you have the time to invest in the person, make sure the windows are shut and the doors are closed. All access points where the evil one has been able to gain access is done before you cast out the demon. People, I had people in my church that didn't believe in demons and just thought I was all nuts. And I'm one of those that sees a demon behind every bush and all that kind of stuff. And and so when they didn't believe, I said, well, how about coming with me? We'll go over and visit a friend who really wants to get free, but he keeps opening the door and like, we'll go visit Jack. Every time we go to Jack, there's a demon that manifests. Anybody that doesn't believe in demons, just come with me and I'll, we'll go over and we'll start... Talking, and Jack wants free, but he doesn't know how to stay free. Always receives us and welcomes us and wants us to talk about Jesus, gets out his Bible. And as we start saying Jesus two or three times, all of a sudden, Jack's just getting a little irritated. And pretty soon, he's running to the bathroom, and he's coughing up blood, doing all sorts of stuff, and uh, fall off the bed and slither and do... Every time, whatever it was that was tormenting him, we saw the authority of Christ cast it out and Jack be free and sitting and clothed them in his right mind. And then he would open himself up again. That's why it's important if you've got a history with someone, make sure that you got the doors and windows shut before you cast out the demon. Now that may be a little more demonology than you was bargained for this morning. But the the reality is it's it's there, it's real. And when it people get free, there's great rejoicing. There's great rejoicing in the city. We're living in this time of the already and the not yet. We're living in this time where Jesus has come and he's ushered in the kingdom. We're living in this time where we're still waiting for his second appearing. When Jesus comes again, we'll see that everything, everything is under the lordship of Jesus. The enemy has lost and it is over. And there'll be no more sickness, no more death, no more crying, no more mourning. All of that will be gone. But we're living in this phase between his first coming and his second coming. And we call it the already and the not yet. It's a time of tension. It's a time where the enemy can really win some battles. And that's why we've got to put on the full armor of God and report for duty because we're in a war. And so there's that dynamic of it that, that is still here, still going on today. So we have to do that. Persecution of a believer is a reality in our world. We don't quite see it the same way as people outside our country does, but we still have it in here. And, and we, we see the disdain that the media has for true Christianity and for real believers and how they try to, you know, in all the different media, it's always taking a a poke at at Christianity. We, but take heart because the Lord Jesus has overcome the world. He tells us that he'll be with us always to the very end of the age to go and make disciples of all nations. He says, you are salt and you are light. You are the light of the world. And that's what the early church believed. And so when they got scattered, the fire spread. The fire spread. So there was great joy. There's great joy. And I believe that's what the Father has in his heart for our area. He wants there to be great joy here. He wants people free from the things that they need to get free of. He wants people healed of the things they need to be healed of. He wants people in close, intimate relationship with him in ways that they never knew was even possible. Whatever your, your greatest picture of intimacy with Jesus, with God the Father and with the Holy Spirit is, you probably haven't even scratched the surface of what's available for you. So with that, I want us to just make an opportunity to engage at many different levels today. One one level is, as I was talking about the demonic, if that kind of irritated you, it could because there might be something that we need to deal with. Okay, Just ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything that you would like to remove from me? Now, it doesn't have to happen with a but if it does, that's okay. I find that a lot of times as we exercise the authority of Jesus Christ that we have, we can minister that to a brother or we can even minister it to ourselves. When we understand the authority that is in us, we can can do that. So Lord, if there's anything here that you would like to remove from us, we give you permission. We invite, we invite the ministry of Jesus. We invite the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We invite the manifestation of the love of the Father to come and to free us from anything that is residing in us that you want to take out of us. And then, Lord, we ask if there's something that we need that we don't have, if there's something that we don't even know that we need it sometimes, we invite you to give to us what we need Mm. so that we might know you more intimately than we've ever known you. And Father, I I pray that as the God of all comfort for those who are in seasons of loss, I pray that there would be release of the Holy Spirit in supernatural ways that would go to those places in our heart, in our mind, in our emotions, our will, our body where loss is being manifest and grief and mourning is real. And we welcome the presence of the Comforter to bring his comfort and to abide with us. Hmm. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and minister the love of the Father's Son and you to us. Now, I invite you to use the whole sanctuary as a place of communing, just like we do with our communion. If there's there's a sense that you're being drawn, these little kneeling benches are just wonderful places to encounter the Lord, feel free. If you want to remain seated, just stay where you are. If you would like someone to pray with you, I'd ask that you would lift up your hand so that we would be able to see that you would like prayer so that we could come and pray with you. There's no hands. Those that are are part of our ministry, as the Holy Spirit leads you, politely see if there's there's a, a sense that you could pray with someone. Outside of that, this is a day for there to be great joy in the city. But it comes in the reality that there is Persecution, there's grief, and there's the kingdom of darkness. Jesus said that he came to destroy the works of the devil. And so are we commissioned. So Father, thank you for your love. I pray your peace would be with each one and that you would be with us in our fellowship, in our time of receiving from you. And so may your love May your love be manifested in the earth, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You have a wonderful day. Save most of uh, your fellowshipping time out in the in the North Acts. Let's continue to make the sanctuary a place of connecting with the Lord at whatever level you'd like to. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast.